Amen. Praise God for his deep, unfailing love for us. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Acts chapter 27, we're going to be skipping a few chapters in Acts. Also, uh, this week, be praying for Pastor Phil. Uh, He's having surgery this week, so be in prayer for him uh, for his surgery on Tuesday. So we're looking at Acts chapter 27. We'll be starting at verse 13 and go to 38. It says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and would not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under of a small island called Kata, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the, on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless the men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Well, we're currently in hurricane season. And for those of us in Buffalo, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We don't have any hurricanes here. We don't have, uh, generally don't have any t- tornadoes or anything like that. The worst we really get is snowstorms and stuff like that. And I can't imagine what it might be like to experience a hurricane. Uh, a couple people describe what it's like to experience a hurricane. They describe it this way. They said, at first it was like a regular rainstorm, lots of rain and wind. Then we noticed the wind kept building and building until it was howling loudly. It got so loud we had to raise our voices to hear each other speak. 
Winds increase and increase and increase. Winds that you can barely stand up. Trees are bending over. Branches breaking off. Trees pulling up out of the ground and falling over. Sometimes on houses. Sometimes on cars. And if you're lucky, only in the street or on the lawns. I can't imagine what it would be like to experience a storm like that. Of course, in Buffalo, we do get some storms. You know, occasionally we'll get a windstorm that maybe has 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds, or maybe we'll get a snowstorm where a lot of snow comes down in a short period of time with wind. So we have some uh, degree of uh, experience with storms, just not on that level. The thing about storms is usually we have a little bit of warning before the storm comes. If we know that there is a windstorm coming, maybe we go outside and uh, make sure our garbage cans are secured, make sure our plants are secured, maybe make sure our lawn furniture is secured so it doesn't blow away. Uh, if there's a snowstorm that's coming, maybe we make sure we have a shovel ready, get some salt, maybe start up the snowblower so that we're ready when the storm comes. But then once the storm gets there, we really don't have much control over what happens. If a windstorm is coming, if there's a windstorm, we might look outside and see the trees shaking, and we have no control over whether they're going to fall or not. We might hear the wind beating up against our, the windows of our house. Maybe it's shaking a little bit, and we don't have any control over whether the, the shingles on our roof are going to come off. Snowstorm comes. We can try to uh, deal with that snowstorm, but we can't really control what's happening with the snow. I remember a couple years ago, uh, we were having a snowstorm, and I went out at nighttime and started snowblowing my driveway. Got the whole thing done, and literally about a half hour later, it was completely filled up again from the wind and the snow. Once the, once the storm comes, we have no control over it. And I think that as a country, we're in a storm. Of course, 2020 could be described in totality as a storm. Of course, the biggest thing is COVID-19 and then the associated lockdowns and uh, the economic consequences of that of people losing their jobs and uh, people getting sick. We also have political and racial strife. This past week, the storm was kind of even intensified. If you watch the presidential debates, you could describe that as a storm. I mean, just to see the, the anger and the vitriol and the disrespect that both candidates had for one another, it was just very discouraging as Americans. And then, of course, adding to that is the president getting uh, COVID-19 this last Friday. It's not just the storm on the national scene with the big things that are happening in life, but I know from uh, many conversations with many of you that there are storms happening in our individual lives. Some of us are dealing with financial difficulties. Some of us are dealing with losing a loved one. Some of us are dealing with the pain of not being able to see a loved one. Some of us are dealing with marital difficulties. There are storms going on in all of our lives, and even as a small church, it's remarkable how many storms are happening in our lives. And those are just the surface-level things. Those are just the physical things, not necessarily the psychological and emotional storms that are going on in our lives. Uh, I would submit that the loneliness and despair and depression and anxiety uh, that, that people are experiencing now is maybe greater than at any time in the history of the world. There's so many different reasons to be anxious. Uh, one doctor, psychology, Dr. Michael Horger, said this, over time we should begin to see a greater decline in societal mental health. 
This will include more depression, PTSD, community violence, suicide, and complex bereavement. For each person that dies of COVID, approximately nine close family members are affected, and people will carry that grief for a long time. George Everly, psychologist from Johns Hopkins University, suggests there's a second pandemic, a pandemic of depression. The second pandemic, I would suggest, is not only coming, but is here. He says, I believe that it will intensify because there will be a ripple effect. Once we get a treatment and a vaccine, it's naive to believe that the mental health consequences will disappear overnight. We're in the midst of a storm, a cultural storm in our country, but also storms that are happening in our individual lives and even in our emotions as we deal with anxiety, depression, and sadness. We're living in perilous times. But in the passage that we're looking at today, Paul is encountering a storm. Of course, it's a physical storm. But as we look at this passage, I think there's a lot of things that we can learn about the storms of life and how we can get through the storms of life. The first thing that we learn is that sometimes storms could have been prevented. Chapter 27 uh, and verse uh, 10, Paul warns these sailors not to leave the place where they were. They were in fair havens, and he warns them, warns them not to sail away from there. Now, during that day and age, sea travel was very dangerous, and it was believed that sometime between, uh, it wasn't wise to sail sometime between the middle of September to about mid-May. And so when they're in fair havens, it's probably about the middle of October, and so it wouldn't have been considered wise to travel on the sea during this time. And so Paul warns them, don't go, let's just stay here, let's winter here, and then we'll go in the spring. But they don't listen, they don't want to stay there, they say it's, it's not a good port, and so they continue, and then the storm comes upon them. Sometimes storms could be avoided in our lives, but sometimes maybe we ourselves ignore the warning signs and we keep plowing ahead. Or maybe we warn those in our lives, those around us, and they don't hear our warning, heed our warning. Maybe it's a spouse who, in a sense, leads us into a storm because uh, they kind of go their own way. Maybe it's a parent who's led us into a storm. Maybe we're dealing with the effects of the way that we've been parented and the, way, and the things that our parents did to us. Maybe it's our children. Maybe we warn our children, don't go this way, don't go this way. This is going to end badly. And yet they go that way and in a sense bring us into that storm as well. March of 2007 in the Kuban region of southern Russia, 62 people died uh, in a nursing home from a fire. And the sad part about it was it was completely preventable. There were alarms that went off, and twice the night watchman ignored those alarms. Finally, when he saw smoke and the, the alarm went off the third time, he jumped into action. By at that, but at that point, it was too late, and many of the people had died of smoke inhalation before the rescue workers even arrived. They ignored the warning sign, and sometimes the same thing can happen in our life. Either we ignore the warning signs, or we warn those around us, and they ignore those warning signs. And so sometimes, not always, but sometimes, storms could have been prevented. And this is a frustrating reality, but it's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate, but it's just the reality of, of the way that storms kind of operate. Sometimes they could be avoided. 
Second thing we learn about storms in this passage is that sometimes the more we battle against the storm, the worse that it gets. Sometimes the more we battle against the storm, the worse that it gets. When the storm comes upon the ship, the sailors undertake various actions to try to stabilize the ship. It describes and, and kind of understanding exactly what they're doing is kind of hard for us to understand because we weren't, aren't familiar with the, the way that they did, you know, took care of boats back then. But it's, it says in the text, they altered their course, they used some kind of supports, they lowered their gear, they threw all their cargo into, into the water. They threw the ship's tackle aboard with their own hands, it says. They did everything that they could to stabilize the ship. All of their knowledge and all their experience and all their effort they put into stabilizing the ship. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Verse 20 concludes, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Despite their best efforts, despite trying everything that they knew how to try, it went from bad to worse. And I feel like in some ways that's how 2020 has been for many of us. It's like we deal with one thing and then there's another thing right around the corner. And we keep pushing forward, keep trying, and it seems like things sometimes get from bad, go from bad to worse. It's like there's wave after wave after wave that's coming against us, unrelenting says in the text that there was darkness for many days. Perhaps that describes our life in 2020. Maybe there's been darkness for many days and maybe we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sad part is we don't know when the storm will end. We hope that it ends soon. We hope that the darkness clears, but we don't know when the storm will end. But storms reveal to us that we don't have the control of life that we thought that we did. See, when things are going well, we can pretend as if we're in control of our own lives and we can feel confident, uh, you know, thinking if we do this thing, this is going to happen and have our plans and goals for how life is going to turn out. But in the midst of the storm, that's all thrown by the wayside and we realize we don't have the control that we thought we did. And that can lead to anxiety, depression. And we talked about how, as a country, we are dealing with this on a mass scale. But the same is true for the sailors in this passage. Again, in verse 20, it says that they gave up all hope of being saved, that their hope was abandoned. It says in the text that they had not eaten anything, or at least not eaten much, for at least 14 days, maybe longer. We're not told in the text uh, for sure why that was. They could have been doing a fast or something like that. But most likely it's just they're so upset and so anxious trying to save the boat that they can't even think about eating. That it's just meaningless to them. So the storms can lead to anxiety and depressions, but they don't have to. And that's the good news. Paul and the sailors are experiencing the exact same reality. They're all in the same storm. The sailors are driven to despair. They can't even enjoy a meal but Paul is filled with confidence and joy. The reason he's filled with confidence and joy is told, is, is told to us in verse 23, where he says, There stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and it will be exactly as I... Uh, so take heart, uh, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. 
Paul's not filled with anxiety and depression because he knows what his God is going to do. He knows that his God is going to come through for him. And his hope was not in the strength of the crew or in his own strength. His hope was in God. And he was able to walk forward in confidence and faith because he knew what was going to happen. He knew that God was going to come through for him. You see, we don't have to fear the waves when we're anchored to Jesus. We don't have to fear the waves when we're anchored to Jesus. When Jesus is our support, we don't have to be driven to despair. Paul is free to rejoice in his God. He doesn't have to live in fear and anxiety because he knows the ending. Even though he's in the midst of the storm, even though the waves are tossing him to and fro, he's able to live in confidence and even enjoy a meal because he knows God's going to come through for him. If you ever get a chance to go to Rome, underneath the ancient city of Rome are some catacombs. I've never gone there, but I'm told that in those catacombs there's various uh, different tombs from Christian martyrs and Christian people throughout the ages. And uh, I'm told there's three different images that kind of predominate those catacombs. The first image is the image of a dove, which represents the Holy Spirit. The second is a fish, which represents Jesus, which is a sign of uh, Jesus. And then the third was an anchor. And the reason there was an anchor was it was believed that hope was kind of an anchor for the soul in difficult times. And for us as believers, we can rejoice in the midst of the storm, even when things are difficult. But I think what we do sometimes as believers is that we rejoice after the storm is over. I mean, when we're in the midst of the storm, we pray, God, bring me through the storm. God, help me to uh, learn something through this storm. And then when the storm is over, then we rejoice, say, God, thank you for bringing me through the storm. But I think that's something that anyone would do, even people who are not Christians. I mean, when the storm's over, you rejoice that you got through it. But I think God is calling us to something deeper. I think God is calling us to rejoice even in the midst of difficulties. Even when we're in the heart of the storm. Even when the wind and the waves are raging against us. And that's what Paul does in this passage. He doesn't wait for the deliverance. He lives in confidence and faith even in the midst of the storm. Now you might say to yourself, well, Paul knew how it was going to turn out. Paul knew that he was going to be saved. So of course he was going to have faith and confidence. But I think a similar thing is true for us. God promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And in this passage, God promised to Paul that not a hair on the head of the sailors would perish. Ironically, Jesus promises us something similar in Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, it says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You'll be hated by all by my name, for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, this is a very interesting statement. I find it very interesting because on the one hand, Jesus tells his disciples, everyone is going to hate you. Your mother and brothers and sisters and all your family are going to turn you over to the authorities. Some are you going to be put to death. But then on the other hand, he says, not a hair of your head will perish. And I think what Jesus is communicating is, I'm not promising you that 
you won't enter the storm. But I am promising you the storm won't overcome you. I am promising you that the storm will not overtake you. God didn't promise Paul he wouldn't enter the storm, but he did promise Paul that the storm would not overtake him. And he promises us the same thing. Not a hair of our head will perish. The storm, we will walk through the storm unscathed because of what Jesus has done for us. We know that God always comes through for us. We serve the God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth, who in in a similar situation, in a similar storm, He was resting and His disciples were freaking out. And then He woke up and just by a word He said, Peace be still. And the waters were calm. We serve a God who sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, to enter the storm for us. To die for us so that we would not be consumed by the storm. We serve a God who's faithful to His promises. And note how Paul and the sailors are saved. Uh, We have a map here of the island, the island of Malta, where uh, the ship was shipwrecked eventually and where they were eventually saved. And if you look at this map, look at all of the water around this little tiny island of Malta. And the ship is being tossed to and fro. They have no control over it for several days, weeks, have no control over what's happening, and it just so happens that they land at the one spot where they could be saved. It speaks of the faithfulness and the sovereignty of God over His people. And so believers can rejoice even in the midst of the storms of life. James Guthrie, the covenanter, 17th century Presbyterian minister, uh, who was martyred for his beliefs, woke up on the day that he was about to be executed, And his servant was weeping for him. And he told his servant, do not weep. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The greatest storm he had ever faced. The greatest storm you could ever imagine. And he said, let's rejoice even today. The third century martyr, uh, Perpetua, young lady with a young child who was martyred for her faith in Christ. Her father asked her to denounce the faith, encouraged her, say, just give up this Christian, uh, this Jesus who you know. Just say that you're not a Christian. Everything will be okay. Don't let me go to the grave sad. But she stays faithful to Christ. And on her, uh, the day that she's martyred, she's remarked that this was her coronation day. We can rejoice in the midst of suffering. Not only when God removes our suffering, but we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. We rejoice not over the suffering. Nobody enjoys suffering. But we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. We rejoice that God is going to be with us through the suffering. We rejoice that God is going to see us through and bring us out stronger on the other side. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19 says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Only God can give us that kind of joy. Joy in the midst of difficulty. Joy not just when things are going well, but joy when things are going really bad. Joy in the midst of the storm. 
And the good news is when we choose not to give in to fear, when we choose joy over sorrow, peace over anxiety, hope over depression, the world takes notice. It has a missional impact on the world. And as believers, we can offer hope to the world around us. We see in this passage that we're looking at today, Paul is on a boat mostly with pagans. Pagans who didn't believe in Jesus. And no doubt they were running around the boat frantically. They can't eat. They're so upset. They're probably screaming and calling out to their gods. And Paul is able to tell them, you can just relax. You can just calm down. My God, he's got this. He's going to make sure we get through this. Not a hair on your head is going to be damaged. And so he's able to offer them that peace and that security. And he says, he encourages them to eat. And it says in the text that the sailors were all encouraged and ate some food. In the world that we live in, in the storm that is the reality of of our country right now, there are people who are crying out and just longing for someone to tell them it's going to be okay. And as believers, we have that good news that it is going to be okay because of our faith in Christ, because we know that even in the midst of the darkness, God is in control, that God will see us through this and God will be with us. And so as believers... We have an opportunity to be a light in the darkness, to be beacons of hope in the midst of the storm. Pastor Leo Eckloff shares the following story about how he had to rely uh, on what his town called storm homes when he was growing up. He says, the small town of Britain, South Dakota, where I grew up, current population is about 1,200 people and even more cattle, has often been the locus of severe winter weather. He says, during the harshest months, the temperature drops below zero. But historically, the real danger has come from blizzards. The blizzards can develop quickly, causing the country roads to become snowbound and impassable. Throughout the 1940s and 50s, the local school district had a creative way for keeping kids safe when a blizzard hit on a school day. On a normal day, the school students would take one of the eight school buses directly to their house. But occasionally a blizzard would descend during the school day and it wasn't safe to bus the kids to their homes. So the school devised a system where every farm kid had a family in town who would be prepared to take them in. Their parents would know they were fed and safe in their neighbor's house. He says, a couple years ago when I was home visiting Britain in the rural church where I grew up, one of my former neighbors, uh, Roger Johnson, mentioned to me that our home in town had been his storm home. That's what we called them, storm homes. He says, our little green house on 7th Street was Roger's refuge when a terrible storm came. He says, that's what every church is supposed to be, a storm home. He says, by the grace of God, your church should be a safe place, a home that some people have never had. Here we are with the Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and incredibly, we embody him together when we're here and when we disperse into the harvest fields. The church is meant to be a refuge in the midst of the storm. The church is meant to be a place where people can come and find hope and find refuge. The church is not a building. The church is each and every one of us who believe in Jesus. And the church goes out, not just, the church isn't just here when we meet together. The church goes forward when we go to our workplaces, when we interact with our family members, our friends. And we have the opportunity to offer them hope, to offer them security, to offer them a voice, a 
that says it's going to be okay through faith in Christ. We can offer them the hope that there is an anchor for the soul and His name is Jesus Christ. We don't have to fear the waves when Jesus is our anchor, when we're anchored to Him. So my son, um, he enjoys it when I'll, I'll, I'll kind of play with him and I'll kind of throw him up in the air and then catch him. And uh, that's probably one of the things he enjoys the most. Uh, and he you know, just smiles and giggles and just loves it. And there's a pastor who was once watching uh, another father doing the same thing. Apparently a lot of kids uh, like this. And so the father was throwing up uh, his child into the air and catching him just before he hit the ground. And uh, this pastor comes up to him and says, huh, I, I wonder why your son is so happy. I mean, the, the kid was saying, uh, do it again, do it again, daddy, do it again. And so the pastor said, well, if, if that was me, I would be stiff as a board because if you drop him, it's going to really hurt. It's going to cause some damage. And so the father said, well, it's simple. I have a history with him and I've never dropped him. And I think the same thing is true for us. God has never let us down. God will never let us down. And so we can trust Him. We can rejoice even in the midst of the storm. I'd like to close by reading a hymn written in 1901 by a man named Lewis Jones. It's called, I'm Anchored in Jesus. He says, Upon life's boundless ocean, where mighty billows roll, I've fixed my hope in Jesus blessed anchor of my soul. When trials fierce assail me, as storms are gathering o'er, I rest upon His mercy and trust in Him more. I've anchored in Jesus, the storms of life I'll brave. I've anchored in Jesus, I fear no wind or wave. I've anchored in Jesus, for He hath power to save. I've anchored in to the rock of ages. He keeps my soul from evil and gives me blessed peace. His voice hath stilled the waters and bid their tumult cease. My pilot and deliverer, to him all, I, I all confide. For always when I need him, he's at my side. He is my friend and my savior. In him my anchors cast. He drives away my sorrows and shields me from the blast. By faith I'm looking upward beyond life's troubled sea. Therefore I have a haven prepared for me. I've anchored in Jesus the storms of life. I'll brave. I've anchored in Jesus. I fear no wind or wave. I've anchored in Jesus, for he hath power to save. I've anchored to the rock of ages. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a refuge in times of trouble, that when the storm comes upon us, you are an anchor for our souls, that you provide hope in the midst of darkness. Lord, I pray that as we are dealing with uh, various things in our lives, whether they're uh, the societal storms or personal storms that are going on in our life or emotional storms, Lord, I pray that you would be our refuge, that you would be our anchor, that we wouldn't simply wait for the storm to pass through, but we would make the decision today to rejoice in what you are to us and what you've done for us. And Lord, as we do that, we pray that the world would take notice and that we would be able to offer your hope and your grace to a world that is so desperately in need of hope. Lord, there's so much hopelessness in our world today. But praise the Lord that we can offer the hope that 
through you, it's going to be okay. That through faith in you, we have the confidence that you are going to return, that you are going to right all wrongs, and you're going to take us to be with you forever and ever. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you most of all for entering into the storm for us. For facing death for us so that we wouldn't be harmed by the storms around us. So that sin wouldn't destroy us. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you never drop us. That you never give up on us and never fail us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.